So good to see you this morning. Nice that you made the daylight savings time change. Uh-oh. I'm just now getting around to it. You guys are way ahead of me, apparently. All right, very good. So glad to see you here this morning. Let's pray. Hope you sense the Lord's joy and the gladness as you came in this morning. Father, as we start off our worship officially, Lord, we just want to acknowledge you in all the times this week that you've helped us, that you've spared us, that you've provided for us and protected us and done things, Lord God, that we didn't even observe. We just thank you, Lord God, for all the ways that you make yourself known to us, for all the times you somehow miraculously put your arms around us and hug us and reassure us. Thank you so much, Father God, for truly the sense from you this morning that what we're doing brings joy to your heart. In Jesus' name, amen. And I said before, good morning, good morning, but also Merry Messiahmas. We are moving now into this celebration of God appearing on earth as Christ. Incredible, amazing, wow, wow, wow. And so we celebrate that, of course, all year round, but we get to do some special stuff coming up. And uh, so remember, as we do this song, the, the word hark, as we do this song, Christmas song, y'all know it. Hark is listen up. I don't know if you haven't figured that out. When they say hark, the herald angels sing, it's going to listen up, people, to what these angels are singing about, man. Incredible stuff going on right now. And it's still the same for us. okay. Let your spirit say it. Just say, oh, thank you, Lord, for coming to earth. You know, the angels will sing for you too, right here. You can hear the same message that the angels sang if you will open up your heart to the Holy Spirit this morning. 
Just as you are to worship. Tell him you love him. Come, just as you are before your God. Come. One day every tongue will confess you are God. One day every knee will bow. Still the greatest treasure remains. Chosen you, Lord. Come, now is the time to worship Him. Come, now is the time to praise His name. That's right. doesn't understand this. What, are you giving up the game for church? What, you're not sleeping in? They don't understand the joy that God puts in our hearts when we choose to come here and honor him just because we love him. Just because we love him. Just let yourself enjoy now what you are doing in his heart just by being here. The joy of the Lord is our strength. I read this again in Nehemiah 8.10. You can read it yourself. And he's telling them, look, people, don't you worry. What you're doing here is of such great joy to God that it will strengthen you to do it. Sometimes worship feels hard to do. Knowing that you are putting joy in the heart of Jesus right now is the strength that we get to continue to worship. Just allow him now to fill you with his joy and feel the smile on his face and the pleasure in his heart.
We did the song last Sunday. It's a new one. Don't worry. joy and we're so glad to make you glad you alone deserve it all the gladness and the joy we get Lord God is your grace but you deserve every word of praise every moment of service you deserve everything Father God and we just want to honor you this morning we just want to let our souls and our spirits bow down before you right now Lord, in our spirits, at soul depth, we take a knee before you. We bow down, King of kings and Lord of lords, in utter awe at who you are and what you've done. Help us as Pastor Scott comes and shares with us from your word, Lord. Help us to understand more deeply who you are what you've done. It just makes us love you more. It encourages us more deeply and strengthens us, Lord God, to know that we can bring joy to you. 
Thank you so much, Holy Spirit, for being present with us once again. In your name we pray. Amen. came to see Mary. She was doing laundry, and then the angel just appeared, and she was really scared. So Gabriel was like, Mary, you're going to have, what? I can't, I can't say good. Mary, you're going to have a baby. I, you're going to have a baby, and you will call him Jesus. And then Mary was like, I'm not going to have a baby yet. I'm only a teenager. I'm not married. Then the angel Gabriel told Joseph that Mary is not lying. She, you are having a new baby. And so they met up. They went to Bethlehem, which was Joseph's old town. They ride a donkey. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. A camel. Oh yeah, a camel. She said, this donkey's fast. Well, they tried to go to a hotel and they asked the keeper um, for a place to stay. The keeper said, we have no rooms, literally no rooms. <laughs> so Mary and Joseph walked away sadly, but then he said, the only place in here in Bethlehem that, that you can stay, stay is a staple. And then he just pointed the way and they followed. When the shepherds were taking care of the sheep, then they saw angels. The angels said, a new baby is getting born who is king of the Jews. The angel were singing. Glorious. And then the shepherds said, I think we should go there and meet him. The second, I think, said, yeah, I agree with you. And the other said, yeah, me too. They had to walk through a bunch of grass and bushes, maybe have to camp out a night. And then the wise men heard about it. And then a star appeared. We should probably follow that star. It's pointing down to the barn. So maybe we should follow it. Maybe. So the wise men went to Jesus. They gave them gifts. A stuffed animal, like a hippo one, to have at home. Some diapers, and some wipes, and some milk, some shoes, some Jordans. Gold, Frank, and Latimer. And I don't know how I would survive in that barn. Too stinky, too crowded, and ugh. I think he probably pooped because the room was very smelly. Thank you for coming. He's adorable. He's gonna be our best friend. I love you, and you're the best baby I ever seen. There, I said it. <laughs> the new baby is gonna change the world.
I love, if you have not discovered Kid History on YouTube, they have amazing videos, and it's all kids narrating and adults doing it. And I thought it was appropriate for a couple of reasons today, because uh, uh, in our passage in Luke I'm going to be teaching on today, um, the, you, we, we're going to talk about children at the end of it as well. But also, um, you know, I, I'm thinking about Christmas, right? I'm a pastor, and I'm a follower of Jesus, and I have, you know people that celebrate Christmas. There's a lot of reasons to think about Christmas at this season right now. And as I was preparing this message for this week, as we just kind of progress through Luke, I, I noticed that um, Jesus at this point is, is, is moving. Remember last week we talked about, you know, he, he was talking about the, en the end of time, and he's been hitting some pretty hard teachings, right, as he's making his way towards Jerusalem for that last time. And, but he's, he's moving from teaching about being prepared and wise about the end of time. Remember we talked about, we used the, uh, the wise men as the example for last week, trying to be wise about paying attention to things. But he's moving from this wisdom, this wise saying, being smart, to teaching about prayer. And it made me think, well, why would you do that? I mean, it it is kind of obvious, but why would you move from being wise about everything to moving towards prayer? I actually think it would be the other way around, right? You would pray, that would make you wise, and then you could, you could move towards things. So it was, it was kind of an interesting transition there. And so I know we get used to uh, hearing messages that kind of stand alone each Sunday, but one of the beauties of exegeting the, the Bible, reading through it, um, you know, one of my goals is that you'll hear every verse of the Bible on Sunday mornings that we're in. I, I, we don't skip any verses or anything. It's just the way I like to teach. But as we do that, we kind of learn more about the lifestyle that Christ would have for each of us. And I think that's particularly important in this season because it's crazy, right? There's so much to do in this season. It's actually easy to take your eyes accidentally off Jesus. And that's not what we want to do. If anything, this is the time to turn your eyes to Jesus. Um, and so as I was thinking about today, he was really, in this message that I'm going, the scripture passage I'm going to read to you this morning, he's really talking about two things. He's actually talking sort of about three things. But the first thing is perseverance, just being perseverant in prayer. And the second thing is, again, humility. He keeps teaching over and over and over again about humility. Why? Because we're a prideful people. <laughs> or it's just me. I don't know which, but I suspect it's not just me. And then he's going to talk about innocence, too, and just having an innocent faith, if you will. And that's what we're going to be looking at today. And so as I started thinking about that, I thought, because I'm a pastor, so I have to make it all themed for Christmas, right? And I started thinking, well, if I was going to think about uh, a nativity character that was um, persistent in prayer, who was uh, humble in their life in general, and who were somewhat innocent of the things going on in the world, I just immediately flashed on the shepherds. Because back in those days, the shepherds, you know, um, some, some shepherds were on 24-hour watch. So you'd have a 24-hour shift 
day and night, and then you would have uh, 24 hours off, you know. But most shepherds, they would get the sheep from their family in the morning because they're usually penned up in their, in their living, near their living space, and they would take them out, and as they went out towards the fields, they would pick up sometimes other family sheep as well. And that's kind of how they earned a living, is taking care of like your sheep so you don't have to, right? And so they would bring them all out into this field, and then that was it. And if you're out there for 24 hours in the field with a whole bunch of sheep, I mean, they're only cute for so long, right? So you've got a lot of time on your hands. A lot of time just standing in a field with a, with a stick, keeping an eye out for bears, for lions, for other predators, keeping an eye out for dumb sheep that are, you know, drinking in the water, get all wet wool and just fall in and start to drown because <laughs> they do that. You know, all these things, right? But, uh, you know, um, one of the videos I posted on our Facebook site this week, I loved how they showed this young shepherd boy who was also like hugging and petting and talking to one of the sheep while he was out there, like we do with our animals, right? Our, our dogs, I do, maybe it's just me again, but I do that with my dog all the time. And, um, but most of it is just a lot of time. And then it's really interesting because you think about some of the people that God used throughout time most powerfully, and they were shepherds sometimes. King David himself was just the youngest son and a shepherd. He was just out in the fields all day long with his little sling and a rock, because that's what boys do, right? Shink, you know. I'm sure he might have hit a sheep or two every so often, because he's young and mean, and, and, you know. But, you know, he's learning also to protect the sheep from animals. Um, it says later in Scripture that he did fight off a bear once for, um, with the sheep. So it's not like, it's not like it wasn't dangerous either. And these were young men doing this, right? But mostly they had a lot of time to think and to pray. I remember in my medieval studies um, when I was in, uh, in college, uh, and I think I've said this before, but the, there was a monastery in England and they would take their monks out in the morning, their new monks. They would take them out in the morning and they would line up and they had to be completely silent, right? The first year of being a monk is, is learning how to clear your mind of all thing, all distractions so you can focus on the Lord. And they would follow the abbot or whoever was assigned a mature monk. Um, all these young monks would follow behind him and they just wind up a trail on, the, on these beautiful mountainsides. And they'd just drop a monk. Okay, you stay here. I'll be back to pick you up um, at sundown. Your only job today is to get to a place where at one time your mind is completely clear of all thoughts. And then they would get just out of sight of that guy so they couldn't like yell at each other and goof off. Um, they would get just out of sight of that guy and they'd drop another monk and tell him the same thing. And so they would make these rounds on these trails dropping monks and then they'd end up back in the monastery, hang out all day, do their thing, and then they would go and repeat it at sundown. And the, uh, the reason they did it up there is because when you're in God's general revelation, as they call it, and as as we call it, in nature, it's impossible to clear your mind because they're on these mountainsides that are beautiful, filled with flowers. You know, you've got all this grandeur around you. Plus, you've got, like, you're a young monk. You're trying to figure it out. I don't like talking. I'm still not sure about that celibacy thing. Um, you know, you've got all this stuff going on in your head, right? And it, and it was, like, impossible to clear your mind. 
And at the end of the year, they would do that final roundup and they'd bring them back to the monastery and they would tell them, basically, you just spent 365 days um, not being able to do this task because it's impossible and we want to teach you that. So you sat on the side of a mountain every day from dawn to dusk for an entire year for no reason other than to clear your mind. And then they would start their lessons with that. But they had these, it was a way that the monks began to live in a powerful, imagine the connection at the end of the year that they had with their faith compared to the beginning of that year. They weren't being taught anything they were being left alone, literally alone, out of sight of everybody. You weren't allowed to go anywhere. You couldn't walk over to the monk over there and go, oh, man, this is boring. How about you? Anything? You couldn't do that. And so they had all this time to pray. And that's why, really, I thought a lot about um, the shepherds in, in this week while I was meditating on these scriptures. And so I want to go to the scriptures now and show you. So if you'd like to follow along, and I really encourage you to, um, you could turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 18, and we're going to just pick up at verse 1. And we're going to continue last week's challenge to be wise people prepared for the coming of the Lord by learning the prayer pace of a shepherd. It's hard, it's hard to think. Like one's like, prepare, prepare, prepare. Oh, but remember the prayer pace of a shepherd too, as God continues guiding us through this Christmas season to his glory, right? So let me read to you the first um, eight verses of this, of this chapter. Luke 18, verse 1, Now Jesus was telling them a parable to show that at all times they ought to pray and not lose heart. It's very clear here. This is what I'm about to talk to you about. Pray all the time and don't lose heart. And he was saying, in a certain city there was a judge who did not fear God and did not respect man. And there was a widow in that city. And she kept coming to him saying, give me legal protection from my opponent. For a while he was unwilling, but afterward he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or, man, or respect people... Yet, because this widow bothers me, I'm going to give her legal protection. Otherwise, by continually coming, she'll just wear me out. And the Lord said, hear what this unrighteous judge said. Now, will not God bring about justice for his elect who cry to him day and night? And will he delay long over them? I tell you that he will bring about justice for them quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes... Will he find faith on the earth? Jesus does something here that he doesn't normally do. I don't know if you caught it. But it's very unlike the Jesus we're giving in Scripture. What he does is he explains a parable before he says it. Normally, remember, it's the disciples going, Well, that was a great story. I don't get it. You're going to have to explain it to me. It's one of the things I love about the Bible. It's very transparent that the disciples often didn't get stuff. Makes me feel really better. And, uh, but this time he says, I'm telling you, I'm going to tell you a couple of parables here like I normally do. But this is what they're for. To always be in prayer and don't lose heart. It's, it's like there's this moment, this unique moment of teaching that he wants to make sure that we're clear on. 
And we do well to pay attention to that. Jesus, and, and what I really like is not only does he say pray all the time, but hey, don't lose heart. Don't lose heart, heart Scott. Don't lose heart, Susan. Don't lose heart, Robert. Just don't lose heart. I know it's hard. That's why he, he has to know or he wouldn't say don't lose heart, right? He would just assume we have great heart and it's, it's awesome. No, he really encourages us to not lose heart. And how do we do that? We connect with him in prayer. Jesus knows life is hard. This is a primary reason, if you think about it, that he came as a baby. He's encouraging you and me not to lose heart, but rather to stay in contact with him through prayer at all times. After all, he is the Prince of Peace, right? And when we have peace, it's hard to lose heart. But he's self-identifying here. And as I think about the Christmas season, it still, you know, just amazes me that the God of the universe would choose to come as a little helpless baby in a feeding trough in a cave surrounded by animals. And as that little kid said, poop, you know, um, it's just amazing that he would do that because he's God. He could just come down, you know, thunder and lightning and just bam, he's there. The earth is smoking, you know, all these movies we watch nowadays. And he's just standing there and um, I am God. Listen to me. But he chooses to come as a little helpless baby and live that life growing up going to the bathroom, eventually going to the bathroom himself, you know, eating, uh, feeling pain, feeling cold, feeling heat, feeling a lack of food at times, feeling this feeling of just constant work that has to be done. The feeling to, to constantly be trying to keep your family safe and supplied, you know, and loved and together. The feelings of being oppressed by government systems like the Romans, right? And trying to find a way to live inside of that in a way that was righteous and holy for everybody. And I think we miss that because we just think of him as God. We just fast forward and we stop for a second at 12 years old when he's amazing the rabbis at the temple. Then we fast forward till he's about 30 and he starts his ministry. There's a lot of years in between there. A lot of years. And we see from his model that he was constantly praying. He was going up to the Father at night and sometimes staying all night in prayer. At times, he, you know, the, the disciples were worried and said, Master, you know, wh what are you eating up there? We're kind of worried. You know, I don't think you're eating enough. And he says, you know, I, I have food for my Father that you don't know anything about. It's like his prayer sustained him in those moments. And the beauty of prayer is that it can be done anytime by anyone, and God never gets tired of hearing it. I often think, like, are you sick of me whining about this yet? Because <laughs> you tell me to keep bringing it to you, so I'm bringing it. And here he has this parable where you have a judge who's saying, I'm getting sick of hearing this. But I got to answer this prayer or, or I, this widow isn't going to leave me alone. And I like that Jesus points out that this is an ungodly judge. Because a godly judge, logically, when you're reading this, seems to indicate that they would take care of the widow because that's what they should do. But this is an ungodly judge. 
But it also talks, it reminded me of that verse in the Bible where it says, overcome evil with good, right? And they'll know we are Christians by our love, right? Not by our rules, not by our religion, not by our judgment, but by our love. Yes, Robert. Don't give up. Yeah, don't give up. Don't give up. Because God wants this personal relationship with us, and he just doesn't get tired of hearing it. And we're going to see what I mean in a minute in the next passage that's very revealing. And he's purposely putting these parables in a certain order. But right now, the one thing you should remember, and remember this is a Luke thing, the Gospel of Luke. If you're, if you, well, today's culture is a little different for women. But in, in the culture that they were writing these scriptures down, that they were living them out, Luke takes great care, again, to show the importance of women in a society that viewed women as possessions. Um, and if you do much studying of that historical time, I think especially if you're a woman, um, it's almost unbelievable, right? When you're 15 and you're given for political reasons uh, in marriage to a man who's 60 and expected to bear children, and if you don't, you're in trouble. You know, these kinds of things. Women were very vulnerable back then. And this is... A, women, a woman who's being oppressed. There's an oppressor. They don't name what it is, but there is an oppressor. So that's also, God is very much there for the poor and the oppressed, right? And she's a widow who's being oppressed and is seeking just basic help from a judge, which indicates she was married. Her husband has died. When a husband dies, his property in those times reverts back to his family. It's, it's almost unbelievable to imagine in today's society. The wife is just basically cut loose. Good luck. If you were a good family, you know, you would make some sort of an accommodation for the widow. Or, you know, if there was a, another brother still alive and unmarried um, from the, a brother of the, the groom, the husband, then that brother was supposed to marry the widow and, um, you know, take her as his own and support her and stuff. But this widow clearly is out there all by herself as a woman in those times. Something is happening to oppress her, and she's crying out for help. This is basically one of the most vulnerable people you can be in those times. And I think Jesus pointed that out on purpose, too, because he's not into favoritism. I don't think he looks any differently on you and I than he does on other people. The, the main difference, of course, is what we've done with Christ in our lives. Because that's the way we attach to him is through his son. So those who don't have that attachment aren't attached to him yet. That's different. But I think sometimes we have this danger of being kind of righteous or being, uh, feeling like this is what makes us holy. Um, these gatherings, you know, whatever it is, our following of the Lord. And we kind of shove aside those things that you know, where we're not following him, but we don't really want to dwell on those things. We just want to dwell on how great we are. And we'll talk about that a little bit more in a minute. But persistent prayer and not losing heart as a result is also an important way to keep the kingdom of God alive in this world that people often lose heart in. One thing I want to start encouraging you more and more to do is to reach out to your neighbors and your friends and your family with the kingdom of God in mind. Because if you think about it, 
the uh, people, you, all of you and me for certain, um, have at one time were invited to church. You had no relationship with God. You didn't even probably think you needed one. I know I didn't think I needed one. And then someone invited you to church. Now, maybe you've been to church your whole life and it was your mom and dad that invited you to church. <laughs> Get dressed, we're leaving. You know, but you know, that might be your story. And you've been actually doubly blessed, in my opinion, because you've grown up almost from, well, often from birth in the family of God. A lot of those people want the stories uh, that people like I have where we led, led a very different life that was destroying us and then we met God and he saved us and hallelujah. And that's all true, but it's brutalizing. It's brutalizing to live that way. And the only way, hear me, that people are going to get connected to God that aren't already is through you and me. We need to have in mind more of an idea of reaching out to our friends, our families, our neighbors with the gospel of God. Remember, Jesus often said, this has kind of caught me as we've read through Luke, and I've been using this more, this kingdom of God. He keeps saying the kingdom of God is drawn near to you. We don't bring people into the kingdom of God. That's God's job. We bring the kingdom of God near them so that they can see God, they can hear God more clearly and it has to be done through love and we'll talk about that at the congregational meeting after this service today but we can't we have to somehow and this is really hard it's still really hard for me we can't go after our neighbors and our friends and family um, with this idea of like an agenda because that's inauthentic we have to get it to a place in our lives where we love God so much, we've spent so much time with him, we've seen so many results in our own lives that we can't help but have that kind of bubble over. It's not a, hey, you should go to church, although sometimes that's the case, but it should rarely be the case. It, it's more of a, just living that life out, being hospitable, being generous, being loving, being happy when the rest of the world really kind of isn't right now, that makes people go, why are you like this? Or has them in your living room for, or your dining room for dinner one day, sees a cross hanging on the wall and says, so what's this about? I know you're a Christian. Or a cross hanging on your necklace. Or just when someone, a friend, a neighbor, a family member is having a, one of those horrible moments in life, a death, a horrible sickness, a loss of a job, a divorce, whatever it is, and you're there for them. And you just want to comfort them and take care of them because you just want to love them. That's what God has asked us to do. These are the important moments of life. And I think we've kind of moved away from that in the American culture. So our way of getting people to come to church now or, and to experience Jesus is just expecting them to show up. If you don't think that's true, some of you will have a different answer for this, but when's the last time you brought somebody to Christ? You brought the kingdom near them, they saw Jesus, they heard Jesus, and they started following him. And, they, and you brought them to church. Have you planned to bring someone to church on Christmas Eve service here, at candlelight service, or anywhere, 
you know, a lot of people are at home and they just haven't gone to church. And maybe you could find out what church they go to and accompany them. It, it doesn't matter. It's just a matter of showing the love and respect and support of Jesus to the world. That's the only way the world will be transformed for Christ. And I think one of the reasons why it's not, and one of the reasons that, the ch that churches worldwide really aren't um, growing much at all, um, you know, we've lost 64% of the churches in America since COVID hit, gone permanently, closed down. That's over half the churches in America. And part of it is because we haven't reached out to people. We haven't just been love in the midst of all this conflict. We haven't even beyond that said, this is where you'll find love. When you come in and start talking and meeting with these people that I connect with on a regular basis, it keeps me alive. It keeps me filled. It keeps me fueled. And I think you'd find the same thing. Why don't you come with me? Just check it out. These are the things that are super important, and I think we're missing them. And I want to encourage you this Christmas season. It's Jesus' birthday, right? That's what we celebrate, the birth of the Savior. So bring him this. Bring people that don't know him into the beginnings of a relationship with him as a gift for him for Christmas, for his birthday. Let's uh, check out this next section. It's, uh, where am I? Uh, yeah, of course, um, yeah, so verses 9 through, oh, where am I going to stop? 14 here. Um, Jesus now is going to do what he also does in parables all the time. He's going to turn the whole world upside down because that's what Jesus has done. Even in his day, he was taking the Jewish faith that were pursuing God as as best they can, those 613 laws you have to observe, the feasts, the commandments, the sacrifices, all this stuff, they were doing it ultimately out of respect and, and, and reverence of God. But Jesus is going to turn it all over. And he's like, okay, you got the concepts. It takes kind of all of you. It takes you obeying a whole bunch of stuff, spending a lot of time with God to get over yourselves, and you didn't get over yourselves in the process anyway. I'm going to turn it all upside down now. I want you to keep doing that. I'm fulfilling that, but I want you to do it now in a different way. I want you to love God with everything you got, and I want you to love each other the same way. And so he's speaking to this crowd, and he's going to start, and I'll read this in a second, with a Pharisee. And the, and the crowds are probably expecting, okay, he's talking about prayer, and this Pharisee that's going to come up and pray, he's going to be the example we should follow. And Jesus turns that completely upside down. Verse 9, Jesus also told this parable to some people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. Tax collectors, I think most of you know, but in case you don't, tax collectors were the worst kinds of Jews. They were people that followed the Jewish faith, but were agents for the Romans to collect taxes that were oppressing the Jewish people. And the Romans used the Jews to do this because they became kind of a liaison. 
But then these tax collectors became the most hated Jews there were. Because basically they were, they were helping idolatry to spread. And they were betraying their faith even though they weren't. You know, people are always looking for a reason to fight each other, right? In case you hadn't noticed that yet. Um, and so that's what was going on here. So you have this tax collector. So they, the crowd hears there's a Pharisee and a tax collector. Oh, tax collector. This is going to be awesome. He's going to nail this guy to the wall. And so he starts in with that. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself. Notice the eyes here. God, I thank you that I am not like other people, swindlers, you know, like this tax collector back here, swindlers, unjust adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, even though you've only commanded once. I pay tithes of all that I get. I'm so awesomely generous. But the tax collector who was standing some distance away, was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven. Well, of course, because he's a tax collector, the dirty scum, you know. But Jesus goes on to say, he was beating his breast, just pounding on his own chest, saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. And Jesus says, I tell you, this man went to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Now notice he started this section saying it was, it was some people who trusted in themselves. Notice the Pharisee's prayer. I, 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 I. He's trusting in himself, right? What did he ask God for? Nothing. Like, he just basically was bragging to God. He didn't ask God for nothing. He didn't tell God, I'm relying on you. He actually told God, I'm relying on myself. I'm so awesome. You know, so you have these, it's not that he was doing wrong things. None of the stuff he was bragging about was wrong. It's that he had a wrong attitude. That's what was wrong. So then you have this tax collector. In case you didn't get that crowd, let me give you the tax collector, right? Yeah, that's scum. Yeah, okay. Just get over that. Oh, so we have this tax collector, and he doesn't even feel worthy to approach near where the Pharisee is praying. And he, he doesn't even feel worthy to lift his eyes to God. Did you know that the reason we pray like this is because it exposes our neck to the sword? It's actually where that came from. And so it's a vulnerability. It's a position of vulnerability. If you choose to cut off my head, you're, that's your choice. You have command over me. That's where prayer bowing your head comes from uh, traditionally. And he's just, he's obviously bowed down because he doesn't even feel worthy to be in God's presence. And he's so distraught. He's pounding on himself like, oh, have mercy on me. Not like... You know, I deserve to still be in your kingdom, or I'm just trying to, to get along with the government and people, and it's so hard, and people spit on me, and none of that. Just, God, be merciful to me. I'm a sinner. I know I am. That is such a powerful prayer. 
And I'm sure the crowd at the moment were thinking, whoa. Okay, I remember he, they drug that woman in that one time. You remember that? They drug that woman in. They had caught her in the act of adultery. They drug her out of that bed and they drug her before Jesus. And they, they said, she was caught in adultery. We got a stoner to death. And Jesus drew something on the ground. And he said, all right, I get it. It's not that you're wrong. But I tell you what, who, one of you guys out here, who, whoever hasn't sinned, you go ahead and throw the first stone. Let me get out of the way. And no one could throw a stone. Was that right religiously? Probably not. She needed to be stoned to death. But Jesus was even there trying to say, look, we all got issues. We've all got issues. And what's most important is to be loving each other. Maybe the most important thing here was to find out why she was in adultery. It wasn't right. You know, when they all slowly, I love, I've seen a couple of movies, they do this. They have these, you know, giant rocks and they just drop them one by one and turn and walk away disgruntled and you can hear a lot of the movies will make that bass thump when the rock hits the ground you know boom and boom 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 and then everybody just turns away and walks away because they're all sinners at least they had that going for them recognition and then he goes up to her and he says where are those people that condemned you yeah see we're all sinners i don't condemn you either I'm not a sinner. I'm the savior of the world. Go and sin no more, right? To the lepers, unclean. It's not that it was a bad idea to keep lepers away from people. You kind of don't want leprosy. I, would, I don't want it. Um, and it's not a bad idea to make them cover themselves with a cloak because it apparently can look really gross when it gets progressed. It's not, it's not a bad thing to have them shout out, um, outcast unclean if they're going through a town so people can get out of the way. I mean, it's a little hurtful, but, you know, it's for good reason. We don't want to spread leprosy through the village. But Jesus goes up to a leper, and, and he's done this several times in his ministry, and, and he grabs the leper, makes physical contact. Now, he's Jesus. I don't recommend you go find lepers in Pleasant Hill and then grab them. But he's Jesus. He grabs the leper and he heals them, right? And he tells them, remember the 10 leopards we recently talked about? Now I'm starting to say leopards like they're animals. But leopards, um, all, they all, you know, he just says, go to the, to the temple now and have the priest declare you clean. Go show. And they weren't clean yet, which was weird. We talked about that. But they left, and on the way they became clean. And then one of them returned to Jesus in humility. But nine of them were still proud enough to just like, woohoo, we're clean. Let's, let's go home kind of thing. So Jesus over and over and over and over again, he's always talking about the poor and the oppressed and how we need to love them. The woman at the well, my favorite story in all of scripture, who's an outcast, clearly has been married five times and the guy she's living with isn't even her husband and there's something going on there and the people won't even be at the well with her. She's got to go out in the middle of the day when it's really hot because she knows no one will be there to heckle her or to be mean to her. And, um, and Jesus goes like, he literally goes out of his way as he's walking around to meet her. That's who he's always going to. 
He's not always seeking out a Pharisee or a religious ruler or a pastor or whatever, a deacon, an elder. He's, he's seeking out the people that need him. The sick need a physician, right, he says in Scripture. And we should be doing the same thing because we call ourselves little Christs. That's what Christian means, is little Christ. And I don't know about you, but I go out of my way when I see someone's in uh, a struggle. It might just be a, a hand on the back like, hey, how are you doing? Are you okay? And just leaving that open. It might be someone who's homeless. It might be someone who's, um, you know, just having a tough time. I, I had to rent a tux for a formal occasion recently. And I come in to pick up the tux, and this woman customer at the men's warehouse is just letting the clerk have it. And I met the clerk when I rented the tux, and she's like super awesome. Really nice woman, working really hard. Her daughter was raised in the men's warehouse helping her. Um, so that's a cool story you don't hear very much anymore either. And I met the daughter, and we talked, and pastor, sorry, I just talked. And um, so when she was, she was very polite with this customer, and and uh, when she left, when the customer left, I was next, and I just went up, and I said, hey, I'm here to pick up my tux. And she's like, oh, hey, um, yeah, I've got it here. Hold on. And I just said, I saw her, and she was, she was amazing, like retail workers right now, or any time, really, but right now during Christmas, she, you could tell she was massively stressed, beyond even what the, I saw happening there. And um, she's trying to, like, she's shaking a little bit. She's trying to get back to help me. And I just look at her. I catch her eye, and I'm like, are you all right? I said, you know, you did really good there. That customer was pretty rude to you. And I've worked retail. That was, I think you handled that really well. Thank you for doing that. And she said, actually, right before you came in the door, she was screaming at me. And uh, I got her to calm down from that. And so she just liked that moment where someone acknowledged her. I didn't have an agenda. I didn't, she knew I was a pastor. I, you know, I had told her that. Um, but I, I wasn't like, you know, if, if you came down to First Christian Church, your troubles would go away pretty fast. You should definitely do that. And send her, because she definitely needs Jesus. You know, I didn't do any of that stuff. It was just, are you okay? And I, I mean, I think that's what Jesus wants us to do. That's what he wants us to do. He doesn't want us focused on ourselves. He wants us focused on others. Jesus wasn't focused on himself. He was focused on others. You know, it's funny that um, this Pharisee there who's doing all the right things, you know, he's, uh, what did it say here? He said he thanks God. So he did thank God at least, you know. I'm not like other people. Mm, that's kind of weird. I'm not a swindler. I'm not unjust. I'm not an adulterer. I'm not even like this tax collector. I fast a lot. I, I really, I, I'm generous with my money, my tithes for you. None of that's wrong. But I think he'd forgotten that, that God, you know, God says in other places um, that he doesn't require these sacrifices. He requires us to obey him in all of our lives. See, pride is not obedience from people who require God's Son's crucifixion for our salvation. If you are a saved human being in a relationship with Jesus the Christ, 
It's because he had to die for you because you're a sinner. Right? We're no better than anybody else you're judging out on the streets. The only thing that might make us better, I don't even want to use that word, is our relationship with the Son of God. That's the only thing that makes us better. Persistent prayer is most meaningful when it's done in pure humility. Persistent, a persistent faith journey is best done when it's done in pure humility. Think about it. The only times you've had issues with your faith or with your church, wherever that was, maybe it was here, is in times where you and or the other person just weren't humble. We have to remember that we are all sinners saved by grace. That God uses the shepherds of the world, the lowly people, to connect the most powerfully with. And we have to remember that wisdom begins with the fear and admonition of the Lord. And we're forgetting that because it's not always a priority anymore. Let's take a look at the quick little third and final section here, verses 15 through 17. I, I love this one. It's the other reason I chose the video because it's kids. I love kids. Um, actually becoming a Christian is what made me love kids. And then having kids forced me to love kids. Um, but, but when you read, when you, did I say that out loud? Okay. Um, when you read about Jesus, there's two things you notice really quickly. Jesus loved kids. He loved kids. And more importantly, kids love Jesus. Think about that for a minute. Many of you have kids or have had kids, right? Kids have this weird, innate sense about people. And when they really love somebody, that's really rare. But when it happens, it's usually somebody worth loving, right? In a, in a good way. <laughs> and so it's neat that he's using kids here. And he, and he says, you know, uh, I'm going to give you verse 15 on. And they were bringing... Uh, the crowd, they were bringing even their babies to him so that he would touch them. But when the disciples saw it, they began rebuking the people. This is another dumb disciple moment. This is one of the reasons I think the Bible is so literal and so true because it didn't polish this. It made even the apostles, the holy apostles themselves, seem like dummy heads at times, right? They began rebuking the parents of these kids and the kids, I'm sure. But Jesus called for them saying, hey, permit the children to come to me and don't hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. And then he says, truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will not receive it. The first thing I, th I thought about, you know, this is a weird transition, right? He's talked about prayer and persistence, and then he's done this whole Pharisee and tax collector thing, and then immediately it's children. But remember, that's the chaos of children. It happens because this isn't a parable. They, the kids are running, it's Jesus! I, he's a great guy, you know, I've climbed in his lap before, I've heard he's, a, like, everybody loves this guy, I gotta get, and they just get away from their parents, 
kids are great at that. And um, it's before they design those leash things for kids. And they run and jump into Jesus's lap or they just want to hug him probably or, or you know, maybe they were lo-fiing or fiving or something. I don't know what it was, but they were really drawn to, to Jesus and he was really drawn to them. And the first thing that I thought about when I read this pivot, what seemed like a pivot in the, in the passage, was how hectic Jesus's life must have been and how flexible and loving he was throughout it. I had this moment where I was thinking this week, I've shared this with a couple of people, do this with me. It's a little mind experiment. Imagine you're Jesus. P.S. You're not. But, you know, just do it. For, I know it makes us feel weird, but just do it for a minute. You're Jesus and you're walking from town to town on this ministry. And remember, you're on your way for a pretty bad moment in your life. Actually, the last moments of your life. But you're, you're coming in and you're surrounded by these guys who are getting it, but they're not getting it. And you know they're going to take off when you're crucified, but you know they're going to come back. It's just work, work, work. You're always pulling them back. You know, you're always like, I know you're an idiot, but I still love you. Come here. Um, get behind me, Satan. You know, all this stuff going on with Jesus, right? And he's walking into this town, um, maybe for the first time, dirty, hot, middle of the day, dusty. He's just, he's been teaching the disciples around till late at night with a fire and then going to pray and then getting up in the morning, teaching them some more, walking around. And he's walking into this town and he sees all the people starting to come out. They hear that Jesus has just come to town. We got to go hear him. And so do the Pharisees. They're like, oh, Jesus is in town. We better go hear him. And the tax collector says, Jesus is in town. Oh, I need to go pray. I'm such a sinner. All this stuff going on. And imagine you're Jesus walking into this town and you're just surrounded by all of this. And you always are surrounded by all of this. It must have been so exhausting. But all he does is love people. He doesn't get to that tension-filled moment in his work where everything's piling up and he's just done. Like he's at the end of his rope. He, he, he doesn't really get there. He gets there once, pretty clearly, when he actually gets to Jerusalem, walks in, and sees everybody stealing from each other as they're changing money, and he starts throwing tables around. And I'm like, oh, thank the Lord for that passage. I can get angry once in a while. But, but other than that, he's always saying, you know, he might say, hey, you hypocrites, you brood of vipers, you know, these kinds of things to kind of shock them, shake them up a little bit, and then teach them. But he always stays to teach. And he always stays to love. If you've watched the Chosen TV series, there's this scene towards the end of the first season where Nicodemus comes and meets Jesus on a rooftop at night. I call him Nick at night for that. Uh, that's my funny joke that no one just laughed at. Okay, so you have Nicodemus. He comes up on the roof, and there's this really touching moment where Nicodemus is clearly understanding Jesus to be the Christ. Now, I, you know, who knows how true that the chosen TV series was to the Bible scriptures. They do use all those verses and others, but it's just such a touching moment because you have this Pharisee of, of Pharisees, really, he's one of the leaders of the Pharisees that is just coming to realize this guy might actually be the Messiah. 
Like, I, I'm starting to think he's the Messiah. And so he wants to talk to Jesus. He cries. It's a really tender moment in the Chosen series. He cries, you know, in front of Jesus. And he tries not to, you know, because he's a guy and we're dumb. And, but he, he's just wanting to know how to reconcile his life with Jesus. And Jesus doesn't make it easy. He's like, well, you're the teacher of the law of all of Israel and you don't know how to do this? Huh. And it doesn't seem like a way you would talk to someone who's like pouring out their heart to you. And he says, well, it's, it's not that hard, Nick. You just got to be born again. What? <laughs> what do you mean? He actually kind of says that. I, I can't be born of my mom again, right? That doesn't work that way. Um, and what Jesus was talking about is what has happened to all of us. And Paul talks about this quite a bit that there's no one, not one person in the world that's without sin. That's why Jesus had to come. If there was even one person without sin in the world, there'd be no need for Jesus because that means we all could attain that if we worked at it. Paul says there's no one, not one person that's without sin in this world. And you know what? You know what sin causes? It, calls, it causes death. And so the zombie apocalypse has already happened because we're all dead in our sins. We're just the walking dead. But at one point in time, Jesus came to earth and he was born. And then he offered us a way to join the journey of faith, to be cleansed of our sins in the waters of baptism, to learn to follow him, and then most importantly, to take our transformed lives with the Holy Spirit that now is indwelt in us, not just visiting, not just connecting with us, but dwelling inside of each of us. I hope you all have noticed that in scripture. The not me, but Christ within me, the hope of glory and pour that out on the rest of the world. Don't just sit alone at home or sit in a chair at church and then just go about your day. There are people outside our doors, outside of every church's doors, that need a Savior more now than ever, maybe. 64% of the churches in America have permanently closed in the last two years. We are at half, mo actually, I think statistically, most churches are at half the attendance they were in 2019 before COVID hit. Or 2018, I'm getting all the years mixed up. And so 64% of the churches have, have gone away and half of the attenders of the remaining 36% of the churches have gone away or are watching online and being faithful, sorry, um, to that. And so there's a real crisis right now. Why do you think it's starting to feel like the end of days sometimes? Because it's starting to feel like there's less and less people of faith around. But here's the interesting thing you're going to find. You start answering my challenge and start going to your neighbor and your friend and your family members and talking about Jesus and uh, sharing, bringing the kingdom of, of God close to them. You're going to find a lot of them are followers of Jesus. 
that have just gone inside of themselves. And you'll meet a lot of followers of Jesus, and you'll also meet a lot of people that don't realize they're following Jesus because they don't have the name of Jesus. They're just trying to live a morally good life. There's a lot of those people out there. And we have to band together in this love at a time of crisis to reach the world with the kingdom of God. It's up to you and it's up to me. We have to break this cycle of kind of forced isolation in ourselves and we have to go after the woman at the well. We have to go after the woman caught in adultery. We have to go after the social lepers out there. We, we have to do all this stuff. We have to be aware of people that need Jesus. And the greater the need, the greater should be our response, right? This is a big challenge. I'm not just trying to preach a nice message that like riles you up and makes you feel great. I'm trying to preach a message of you've got to join this effort. It's a lot of work, but it's the best work you'll ever do. And it'll leave a legacy behind you when you're gone. And it'll be one of the reasons you'll hear, well done, good and faithful servant, when you get to heaven. And that's where we all want to be. And that's where we want all of our neighbors. That's where we want all of our friends. And that's where we want all of our family. So be wise and be thoughtful. And bring the kingdom of God to the world around you. Because you might be their only hope. Give that gift to Jesus for his birthday this Christmas. Let's pray. Father God, again, I just thank you so much for your word. I thank you for the things that you've taught us in your scripture. I thank you that you're turning our eyes to see that. I thank you for the, the growth of your kingdom we're seeing here at First Christian Church when so many other churches are falling or failing. Father, I pray that you would put a stop to that in all churches, that you would revive this world. We know it, it very possibly can go the other way. And actually, you said someday it will. Maybe this is that day. I don't know. But what I do know is that we love you. And we know that you are love and that you command us to get out there and love. That's really all you've commanded us. I get it. We don't do that well. We often do that horribly. I just pray that you would reach into everybody. Start with me, Lord. Reach into everybody with your indwelt Holy Spirit in us and teach us to, to love. Teach us to be encouragement to the world. Teach us just to be salt and light of the earth, Father. Teach us to have those moments with the adulterer, with the woman at the well, with the, with the leper, with, with the tax collectors of our society today, Father, the outcasts, the people who have been shoved into the edges and corners and creases of our society, Father. Help us not forget them too. Maybe they're the, well, they are the most in need of you, Father, so send us. As we leave the doors of this church, your church this morning, Father, we pray that you would encourage us that we're entering our own personal mission field and help our missions be fruitful in this coming year for you, Father. May we all sit here swelling with people 
because we loved our friends, our neighbors, as we loved you. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, I've got a couple of challenges for you this week. Um, you could memorize Luke 18, 17. Truly, I tell you, whoever doesn't receive the kingdom of God like a child will not enter at all. Something to discuss. I think this would be really fun to talk to little kids with. But anybody, why do you think Jesus loved children so much? Or did you know even that Jesus loved children a whole bunch? Why do you think he did? That, that'd be a really fun conversation, actually, to have. Be, and be prepared, you know. Remember, we're talking about shepherds this week. Meditate on, on, on the shepherds this week as far as, like, role models. Meditate on the fact that Jesus opened this section by saying uh, he was telling them a parable to show that at all times they ought to pray and not lose heart. Have you lost heart? I think a lot of us kind of are heading in that direction. I think Jesus himself is saying, don't. There's no reason to lose heart. You have him. We have Jesus. And seek for ways to be more guided in prayer and your thinking in humility towards Jesus like the shepherds. At this time, I'm going to call Kyle to come and lead us in a communion devotional. Kyle. Michael, is that good? Okay, cool. Um, well, over the last uh, number of months, I have reconnected with somebody um, that I was actually their youth pastor a um, number of years ago. And uh, his name's Chris Kyle. Of course, great name, strong name right there. Kyle, good last name. <coughs> oh, excuse me. And one of the things I realized... Um, as I've just been thinking and dwelling on this a little bit more, um, is since we reconnected, uh, really back in September, end of September, and we started working out all the time together, he's actually going to join the Air Force tomorrow. Um, and he is, that's his ship out date, and so uh, it's been, there's kind of been this crunch, this countdown uh, for me. Because for two years prior to us reconnecting, we just kind of didn't. And in youth ministry, he was kind of like my main student leader. I mean, he was one that was always there with me. He would always show up. He would always set up. We would spend hours together uh, just discipling, reading books, talking, physically walking to 7-Eleven because that's my favorite thing to do. And I missed that. So when we reconnected, I realized I have three months with this young man, and I want to help him, you know, get in shape, get stronger, all these things, get ready. And all those things are well and good. Well, what I've been thinking about, especially over these last couple of days, has been that while I understood the urgency because I knew the timeline and how much time I had left with him before he went off into this next incredible chapter of his life, I don't have that luxury of knowing every day how much more time I have left on this earth. And that's time left with people, that's time left ministering, which is ultimately everything. But I don't know. And I've come to realize or re-recognize that time is 
strangely, the most valuable thing we have, because we're all granted a limited amount of it, but it's also a conundrum because we don't know how much of that limited quantity we've been given. Now, as I um, say all these things, especially in these last two weeks, getting ready for Chris to ship out and for that day to come, I really began asking myself, what is the most important things that I, as now his young adult leader and, and pastor and friend and mentor, what do I want or need him to know and understand about Jesus? What are the last things I'm going to leave with him as he departs? And I say all these things because it brings me back to two things. First, and obviously, communion. And the second, with that as well, is the Great Commission. To go into all the world, make disciples, and baptize. I always like, whenever Scott gets to cover certain passages of Scripture that have something to do with end times, not because I'm doom and gloom, but because for me personally, it lights a fire in me and resets that urgency in my soul. Because I know that one of two things will happen. One or two things have to happen for me to be standing before God. One, my time is up and I'm being brought home to him. Or two, the time has come, and he's coming back to us. And neither one of those do I know the exact time, nor does anybody else. And if they preach differently, well, that's a whole nother theological, should be a short conversation to have. I think the reason why the Great Commission is the Great Commission isn't just because it happens to be the last directive that Jesus gives us, but because he understood that sometimes we get so caught up in the things that are good that we really forget to focus on the things that God has called us to focus on and called us to remember. Now, if you're at home, I probably should have mentioned this before. Now would be a great time to get your communion. But for everyone else here, I know you're always ready, so it's all good. I've come to think about that more and more. And for me, in these last couple of weeks, communion has been a reminder for me not just to remember the good things, heck, not even to remember all the things that God calls me to do. Because sometimes that can be overwhelming. Scott and I were having a great conversation this week, as we always do. And I just said, Scott, I need you to be more specific in some things because I just... I'm, I'm that guy. I need just very, I need clarity. I don't like ambiguity. Scott and I were talking. He's a little bit the opposite, which is great. That's a great dynamic to have. But all these things to say, communion has been for me a reminder to refocus on what's important over what just I, I personally want. A reminder to refocus on the important things that God's calling me to do or how he's calling me to do it. And for someone like Chris Kyle, 
the countdown is real for me. What would be the last things I want to instill in him? To spiritually, emotionally, as the best that I can physically prepare him for whatever challenges are coming his way. Communion is a time for us to recenter on what Jesus ultimately calls us to do. On how he calls us to live. And maybe that changes. The specifics of it change over time. But the core of it always remains the same. And we do this in response to him. 1 Corinthians. Sorry, I'll try to speak into there because I keep walking away from it, Michael. 1 Corinthians 11, 23 through 28. The Lord Jesus, on the night of which he was betrayed, took, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, The cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks of the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and of the blood of the Lord. But a man must examine himself. And in doing so, he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Let's not forget, one, what's important for all of us. But two, what has Jesus called our attention to? Whether it be through today's message and our reminders and Scott's challenges, whether it be in moments of worship and just soaking in the presence of the God and giving thanks and worshiping him because it's who he is and who he deserves to be. And how he deserves to be praised. Or it's in the subtle ways. The little things that become and make up the big things that ultimately are everything. I'd like to pray for us really fast. And then, of course, I get to pass over announcements to Elderberry. Um, and just, well, you'll see. Father God, we thank you for this day. Lord, I thank you for the reminders in my life. God, for the relationships and urgency that you have placed in my heart. Lord, it's so easy. One, it's easy to blame. It's easy to blame and, and pass the buck on why busyness is a thing. It's easy to blame and pass the buck of, of why I've been so preoccupied or distracted by shiny things. But God, help me and help us that while there might be a reason for a certain event or distraction, God, help us not to have that become an excuse. Father, we love you. Father, we recognize you for your majesty. 
We recognize you for what you've called us to do, how you've called us to live, and God, who you've called us to walk with. And Lord, whether it be being able to make disciples of a hundred people or one or two, we remember that today we're all called to make disciples. And we're all called to remember your sacrifice. Because ultimately, God, that is what has enabled us and truly empowered us to pursue you, pursue your calling on our lives, and God, to pursue your blessing on this church, this body, and every person that we get to come in contact with. So, Father, I just thank you for this day. In your name we pray. Amen. I'd like to call the worship team up for any tuning we need to do as Pastor and Elderberry bring some announcements and some important things to talk about after church. Thank you. Nothing like a good intro, right? <laughs> All right. I have to share one thing I've just caught as I too like Pastor Scott love hanging out with kids and that and do a lot of that um, and that so the one the thought I had is as he was sharing about you know having the faith of a child is add a, add a, add a picture to it have the faith of a child on Christmas morning you know what that that children are like on Christmas morning that's the kind of excitement and faith that God wants in us so just I'll give you an image to play with in that um, for a few announcements, um, we do have, we continue to collect, you'll see the, the blankets and coats and all that piling up behind um, Robert back there through the window there. You can see him on that table. So I encourage you, if you have um, extra, extra blankets, coats, gloves, hats, socks, those kind of things, we are, um, I want to thank the, the homeless um, care folks come weekly to, to basically pick those up to distribute them among people in our county, so it's our local area you're affecting. So look for stuff, and then maybe over the next few weeks, bring stuff in, add it to that table. I mean, it's, it's one of the ministries we have to reach out to the people that have a lot less than we do. So, um, so that's that's something we can be doing. Um, coming up um, um, this week, um, we have our sermon 2.0 study. We'll be talking again about the sermon that Scott preached and 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 his message, and, and diving in more deeply. If you're interested in that and don't have a link contact myself or Pastor Scott, we can provide that for you, and that, so, um, and then, last of all, we are going to be, um, uh, we're entering what we, our election time, um, which we do every year here at the church, and it has two purposes, we'll be basically looking at, are there any new leaders we want to elect, or re-elect um, our leaders that are a part of a three-year term, so that's next week we'll be doing the election on that. This week, today, um, right after this service, so right when we're done here, we're going to hold an informational meeting. Um, so we'll present some information about, um, you know, about the election and that. We'll also talk a little bit about our elders and deacons and trustees and, and what's going on there. Um, so that's going to be right after this service, so I encourage you to stay. Um, again, if you're a visitor, you can, you're welcome to stay and listen. This is not secret information um, in that, but you're not required to stay. Uh, but we encourage you to stay. It's a good chance for you also to ask questions of us. For those that are online, um, obviously you don't have a chance to participate in the meeting here. We're not going to live stream it. We are offering a Zoom session this afternoon at 2.30. 
um, to present the same information. So if at home you're interested in that, um, contact Pastor Scott or myself. We'll send you a Zoom link so that you can participate in that this afternoon. So we're offering those. Those are going to be the same information, so the folks here don't need to do both unless you really want to hear us again. So we're so we're so excited, yeah. So anyway, but that's um, those are the announcements we've got. So we're excited um, that you are here, and we're excited. It's Christmas season already. You ready? No, 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 not yet. All right, I'll, I'll, I'll ask, we'll have to ask that again in a few weeks, see if we're really ready. Let me pray for you, and we'll wrap up, and we'll have one final song. Father, thank you for your awesome, incredible gift of Jesus, Father, as we begin to celebrate Christmas. Lord, help us to make that the centerpiece of our Christmas time this December. Thank you for loving us enough to send your Son. And so guide us and be with us this time in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Thank you, Barry. Really disappointed. Really disappointed. No, I mean, how could you not mention Christmas Eve? Especially considering what you're going to be doing. Oh, you're saving that? They don't get to know now? Wow. <clears throat> Elder Barry's going to be doing something with the kids. <clears throat> That's all I'll say. It'll be musical. Do you know he can sing? Do you know that? <laughs> I found that out. <laughs> you can't enter the kingdom unless you do it as a child. Whoa. What's that mean? Wow. That is an identity statement, brothers and sisters. This is not something you do. This is something you are. Now, now just allow him to impress upon you this morning. You're his child. We have this relationship. Father, child. Sing it to him as one of his children. Oh, Lord, you're beautiful. Your face is all I see And when your eyes are on this child Your grace abounds to me Oh Lord, you're beautiful Oh Lord, you're so And when your hand is on this child, your loving will is mine. Oh Lord, please light the fire that once burned bright and clear. Replace the So 
You're beautiful. We're your children. Your face is all I see. And when your eyes are on this child, thank you, Lord, your grace abounds to me. Lord, your children love you. Let this be our most transparent and descriptive statement to everybody that you send to us, Lord, is that your children love you. I love you, Jesus. I love you, God. I want all my friends to know that I not only believe in you, that I love you. I love you, God. And all because you've loved me first. You are beautiful. Thank you so much, Father God, for accepting me and allowing me to be your child. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful time. Hang out. Learn some things today if you want to.